When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work. Hey everybody. You are listening to Open Mic with Michael Thiessen, and this is a great day to be uh, tuning in. Uh, This show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness, and then to defend those who stand. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues. As always, I encourage you to head over to our websites, libertycoalitioncanada.com, or to head over to christianweek.org in order to get more information on uh, global headlines from a Christian perspective. Uh, as we get started here, want to introduce you to my friends at RockLink Investment Partners. Remember, RockLink understands the investment challenges that you have today, and as an independent investment management firm focused solely on creating portfolios of highly quality businesses and anchored in the time-tested principles of value investing and also uh, not shying away from the uh, uh, essential conversation around the World Economic Forum and not conforming to all of their uh, ESG instructions, RockLink is a great investment partner. So uh, email RockLink at info at rocklink.com or visit them at rocklink.com. That is link with a C. Today, I get to spend time with an outlaw, and that is Dr. Robert Spencer. And uh, Robert's going to be coming on. He's going to be f- helping us follow up with our interview uh, with uh, with Dr. David Wood. And of course, our, our live podcast that we did last week with Tim and I, where we are tackling this this new, uh, I don't want to say new, but this 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 very current and changing situation as we are seeing pro-Palestinian protests all around the Western world, and yet we're watching terrible footage coming out of Israel in what Hamas is doing in Israel. So, uh, Robert, thank you for coming on the show. It's great to be having this conversation with you today. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, can you introduce our uh, our our listeners to your work and any any particular places you want them to go to find what you're doing? Uh, you are actually an outlaw. You're banned from Britain based upon the research that you're doing and presenting uh, over at uh, Jihad Watch. Is it jihadwatch.org? Yeah, jihadwatch.org. Uh, can you tell us our folks a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, as far as the ban from Britain goes, yeah, about 10 years ago now, actually, I was right here in my office and got a uh, uh, letter from the UK Home Office, 
which considerably impressed the FedEx man uh, <laughs> who <laughs> delivered it. He said, it's from the, it's from the British government. And anyway, <laughs> it said that uh, because I had said that Islam has a doctrine of warfare against unbelievers, that I would not be allowed to travel to Britain. And um, this is kind of absurd because Islam does have a doctrine of warfare against unbelievers. But what the situation was, was that uh, the British government was trying to appease its Muslim population, and they were very upset about counter-terror measures and claimed that they were unfairly singling out Muslims. Well, of course they were, because only the Muslims were acting as terrorists in Britain at the time. That's not to say that only Muslims are terrorists. There was, of course, and is the IRA and all the rest of it. But nonetheless, that was the main terror threat. But in order to appease the Muslim community, the British government decided to create a parallel right-wing extremist threat. Now, you're only far right in the establishment if you are against their agendas, and one of their agendas is to force everyone to believe that Islam is a religion of peace that has nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism, and this is designed to uh, justify the mass migration of Muslims into Europe and, the, and North America and many other things. But in any case, if you dissent from that, then you're a far-right extremist equivalent to the terrorists themselves. And so Theresa May, the former prime minister of Britain, actually once boasted that she had uh, kicked Abu Hamza and Abu Qatada out of the country, both of whom are jihad terrorists who advocated violence. Uh, Abu Hamza tried to set up a jihad training camp for al-Qaeda in Oregon and so on and also had barred Robert Spencer and Pamela Geller from the country. Now, we, of course, have never advocated any violence or tr called, tried to set up any terrorist training camp or called for any violence or justified any violence or anything of the kind, but she was trying to pretend, and the British government continues to pretend, that the far-right extremists constitute just as dangerous a threat as the jihadis. Now, this is an outrageous lie and defamation on their part, but what do you do when the British government is, is libeling you? Who are you going to sue? The queen? Uh, the, king, the queen at the time. The king now. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, there's nothing that can be done about it. It's just sort of absurd. Well, you know what? Uh, we've got some connections with a great British organization called Christian Concern. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them a call. That's that would be a worthwhile question to be so be posed to some of our our our, our British Christian uh, advocates. Um, you. you know, this is a pretty serious topic to be banned from a country. You know, I'm an immigrant to the United States, and uh, I happily uh, love the freedoms uh, in in this in the state of Kentucky. And yet, as this um, as this issue, and I'm and I'm gonna I'm gonna label the I'm, I'm gonna label the rising awareness of jihadism as an issue, just for like just just so help people can frame this conversation. You know, I it, it's it's not a day goes by I go on Twitter and go, you know, I wonder if I say this if this is gonna affect my future visa. I, I really hope it doesn't. Um, and and I'm going to bring that home because I'm sure you saw yesterday that Vice President Kamala Harris, as a priority to talk against hatred and anti-Semitism, um, established a, a a conversation with uh, with the with the president about Islamophobia. 
So, so it wasn't just a conversation. It's a national strategy to counter Islamophobia that's going to be run by the National Security Council. So in other words, they're saying that it's a threat to national security to criticize Islam and to speak about the motivating ideology of groups such as Hamas. And so I fully expect to be interrogated, arrested, who knows what. Okay. So folks, this is the this is a context of the conversation. It is very serious globally. It's obviously uh, very serious with Israel having to defend themselves from jihadists all around, all surrounding them. And in that context, okay, in that context of uh, of this rising issue that people, of course, in the back of their minds, were always aware of of some of the teachings of Islam. Now we are talking about um, the the rise of Islam in a new way with real consequences, and and Robert the 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 one thing I've been saying to people is I think that this is this is global jihadism going into phase two of jihad. This is this is now like in Israel, of course, we're at, we're at we're at phase three. They, they're they're openly violent. Open you know, openly uh, murderous, but with all of these protests and with these governments posturing the way that they are, this seems to be, uh, a, a, you know, ratcheting up globally of Islam. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Can you to- explain for folks what, again, kind of what the difference between phase one, phase two, and phase three of Islam and, and where that where that rhetoric comes from? It's as old as Islam itself, and it comes from uh, contradictions, actually, in the Quran that were explained by the early Muslims as three stages of teaching on jihad and warfare against non-Muslims. And that comes from uh, Ibn Ishaq, or Ibn Hisham. Ibn Ishaq was the first biographer of Muhammad, or the first one whose work uh, has been largely preserved. He died in the 760s about 130 years after Muhammad is supposed to have died. And then his work actually is lost, but Ibn Hisham, who died in the 830s, his, uh, he, he wrote a biography of Muhammad that contains a great deal of material that he says is taken straight from Ibn Ishaq. We don't actually know if he edited it or changed it or how much he might have done so. So uh, this is material from the ninth century that is 200 years after Muhammad, it is rooted in earlier material, but we can't know how much it's been edited. And this is the actually the earliest available material about who Muhammad was and what he did. And he Ibn Hisham explains the Quran as teaching first that Muslims must be tolerant of unbelievers, and that's based on the Quran chapter 109 and the first 12 years of Muhammad's career as a prophet. Chapter 109 of the Quran says, say to the unbelievers, I do not worship what you worship, and you do not worship what I worship. I will not worship what you worship, and you will not worship what I worship. To you, your religion, and to me, mine. That's essentially the whole chapter. And that's based on Muhammad in Mecca, the city where he was born, where he only attracted a small number of followers, and he preached tolerance. But it was really not tolerance of the non-Muslims. It was that he was asking the the non-Muslims for tolerance of the Muslims because they were a small, powerless group. And so that's the first stage, according to Ibn Hisham. Then when Muhammad moves to Medina, 
the Hijra in 622, which is the beginning of Islam proper, the beginning of the Islamic calendar and so on. Uh, that's when he starts to preach that the Muslims can defend themselves by force of arms against attacks. And that is the second stage, which is known as defensive jihad. Jihad meaning struggle, and the defensive jihad is the struggle to defend the community. And then you have the third stage, which is offensive jihad, is epitomized by chapter 8, verse 39 of the Quran, fight them until persecution is no more, and religion is all for Allah. If you're fighting until persecution is no more, that implies that there's an end, that if you the Muslims are not persecuted, then there will be peace. But that would be misleading because the passage doesn't end there. It ends with, and religion is all for Allah. If you're going to fight until religion is all for Allah, then you have to come after people who aren't fighting you. But their religion is not for Allah. And so that is an offensive war against all non-Muslim entities. And so those are the three stages, tolerance, off defensive jihad, and then offensive jihad. And the, the first stage is when Muslims are small, a small number and in a great minority in a non-Muslim country. And that's what we've seen. That's what we grew up with in Canada, in the U.S., and in Europe. But now, as Muslims have increased in number, we're seeing, particularly in Europe, but also in North America, a transition to the second stage where Muslims can are, are permitted to take up arms in defense of Islam and in defense of the Muslims. We see that with the increasing violence in the protests against Israel, that a, uh, a Jewish student got uh, his nose broken at Tulane University in Louisiana a few days ago. Uh, another uh, Jewish student was surrounded by a crowd of angry Muslims and menaced at Harvard. I believe that was yesterday and so on. Uh, the, the violence is considered to be justified and justifiable based on the fact that the Muslims have been attacked. And we're going to see more violence in Europe and in North America. In Europe, of course, it's if you look at jihadwatch.org and the stories that we report, it's practically a daily occurrence that some Muslim guy in France or Germany is shouting Allahu Akbar and stabbing random people on the street. And that's all part of this. Then the third stage will be a large-scale jihad action against a non-Muslim entity, such as what we see now with Hamas and Israel. And that is coming. It will be here. just hasn't come yet. So, Robert, with, of course, with the, with the Patriot Act and then now uh, Kamala Harris wanting to have a, 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 a homeland security or a, 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 um, I know that homeland's not the, the right entity there, um, making security. this a national security issue, a national security issue. What do Christians do now practically? Like – uh, we've been saying for years, immigration is a problem. Uh, Canada and the United States have been mass immigrating people from uh, uh, Muslim countries that are openly jihadist. And again, there's no separation uh, with with the Muslim world, world uh, worldview from jihad. And that's a misnomer that people keep telling us. So uh, there's been mass immigration. Foreign policy is obviously friendly, as you mentioned about uh, Britain wanting to appease. Obviously, uh, what Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden are doing right now is is a, is a foreign policy or even a home policy that is a, a policy of appeasement. Um, 
I know based upon reading your bio that you've done some advising or or um, you've done some type of uh, reporting for um, uh, U.S. government entities to inform them about about the situation. What what do we do practically um, in order to prepare or to try to avoid for a massive stage three presence in North America, in, in the United States and in Canada? Is there anything the Christian who is worried and concerned from the information they're seeing other than personal evangelism, which is always a, a calling of the church to call people to repent and to change their worldview. Um, but beyond, beyond personal evangelism, um, beyond the preaching from the pulpit of, of, of the gospel, what can individuals do who are really concerned about the information that we're talking about? Practically. Well, in the first place, I think that it's, it's imperative to be fully informed. And most people are not fully informed as to what's going on. And there are two things that I believe it imperative for uh, everyone, really, to understand that are not fully understood by most people that I encounter. Uh, in the first place, that it is indeed an invasion of uh, people who are possibly jihadis and not just a mass migration problem with the open border at the uh, the Texas-Mexico used to be border, but the, the open southern border is not just a matter of Mexicans and Central Americans and South Americans coming into the United States. The numbers are staggering. People, I think, don't realize, but since 2021, there have been 30,000 Turkish nationals, 6,000 Afghans, uh, 1,000 or 1,500 Iranians, many, many others, Syrians, Iraqis, and so on, who have been apprehended at the border. Now, that's just the ones who were apprehended. That means that there are large numbers who were not caught. Now, when you, I'm not saying that all those people are jihadis, and my, people might hear this and say, well, that's that's interesting, but Turkey is a secular, moderate Muslim country, and so if Turks are coming into the United States illegally via the southern border, it doesn't really matter. Well, actually, Turkey is a secular country, ostensibly, but it's increasingly re-Islamizing under the presidency of Recep Tayyip Erdogan. It is uh, well known that Turkey favored ISIS when ISIS was in control of Iraq and Syria, and uh, Erdogan allowed Turkey to be a conduit, a way, a, 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 a means by which jihadis could travel from North America and Europe and go through Turkey into Iraq and Syria to join ISIS. He didn't stop them as he could have and should have. Uh, the Turkey, the idea of Turkish secularism also is really a matter of Istanbul and Ankara. And the rest of Turkey is a uh, very firmly Islamic country that doesn't really like secularism, and that's why Erdogan keeps remaining in power. The uh, vast majority of the common people in Turkey are completely on board with Hamas, with the jihad enterprise in general. So 30,000 Turks is a matter of concern. Once again, that's only the ones that got caught. We don't know how many got through. The other aspect of this that is not, I think, sufficiently understood among most people is that the Biden regime is not an American administration the way other presidencies have been. It's not really an American administration at all. 
the Biden regime is actively working against America and Americans on numerous fronts. This is not really even a political issue. You may love Trump. You may hate Trump. You may uh, love Biden, for that matter, or hate Biden. But the fact is that the administration or the regime more properly is very clear in being against core American principles, notably the freedom of speech. The uh, Biden regime tried to set up a disinformation governance board, which, like this new Islamophobia initiative, was situated as a matter of national security. It wasn't the National Security Council for that one. It was run out of the Department of Homeland Security. But that amounts to the same thing that it was considered that if you were spreading disinformation, this was a security threat. So the idea would be to claim that people were spreading disinformation and silence them accordingly, regardless of the freedom of speech protection in the First Amendment, because it was a terrorist threat. It's a security threat to have this disinformation going around in the regime's view. Now, they had to back off on the Disinformation Governance Board because there was a firestorm of criticism that they weren't prepared to deal with. There are people who still believe in the First Amendment in the United States. But it's not as if they've suddenly discovered that they love the freedom of speech. They are trying to criminalize dissent, to stamp out opposition in the United States. Once again, whether you love Trump or hate Trump, the idea of arresting the chief opponent of the sitting president of charging him with multiple felonies and of those felonies being actually uh, misdemeanors at best that were upgraded to felonies solely in order to persecute the chief opponent of the sitting president. This is third world dictatorship stuff and not what we've seen in the United States ever before. And so you may even think Trump is guilty of crimes, but uh, the the fact is that Nixon was obviously guilty of crimes for that matter, and the, nobody ever talked about arresting him. That was considered to be a bridge too far. That was getting into banana republic territory. Well, now we're in it. And uh, the point you're you're, you're, you're with, talking to a Canadian about that in, in the sense that uh, yes, that that is tr that is Trudeau's that is Trudeau's playbook in Canada, and you are seeing Biden and Trudeau do that quite harmoniously. Um, against their own citizens, so that is a great explanation of of the of kind of the of the of the, the groundwork being laid by the government against its own citizens. Now, if you'll permit me, just that's just the foundation, all that, because then we have to understand that the combination of the new uh, national strategy to counter Islamophobia and the administration, the regime's war on the freedom of speech will be that people who speak about the ideology of the jihadis, people who speak about what they believe and what's guiding them, as I've done for more than 20 years now, it's all designed to lead to a situation where such people will be silenced, deplatformed, arrested, imprisoned, re-educated, who knows. But the we will now see people who criticize Hamas, even though the administration ostensibly favors Israel. Remember, Biden went over to Israel to express his support and ended up announcing he was giving $100 million to Gaza, which means to Hamas, because there ain't nobody in Gaza that's going to get that money or be able to get that money except Hamas. There's no institution in Gaza that can come, that can get 
$100 million from the United States. And then here come the Hamas guys at the door saying, give us the $100 million. And they say, no, Molon Labe, uh, you, you're not going to get it. No, Hamas is going to get it. There isn't any group that can stand up to Hamas in Gaza. So he's essentially, and he knows this, he has to know, or if he doesn't know it, since he's just a mouthpiece, the people who are running him know it. So what we have is a situation where the president of the United States goes to Israel, expresses support for Israel, and says, oh, by the way, I'm giving $100 million to the people wanting to destroy you. So it's clear which side he's really on. And what we're going to see now is the silencing of critics of Hamas, the uh, silencing of those who speak about the jihad threat in general. And so we need to be aware of that. You want to know what Christians can do. First, be aware of that. Second, bring your politicians to be aware of that. Don't vote for anybody who's not aware of that. Work hard to raise awareness of that among the people who you know and who, who you are surrounding you. And make it clear that this is the fundamental issue of our time, that if we lose on this, we've lost everything else because then the, ty the tyranny is in place and they can do whatever they want. And we cannot say a word in protest because, of course, we cannot speak at all anymore. It would be disinformation or Islamophobia to do so. Okay, I have two questions to follow up. First question is, what are the limits to free speech? Because I'm watching all of these pro-Palestinian marches where they are celebrating, you know, women having their breasts cut off and being killed, babies being decapitated and burned. Uh, war is ugly, but just a very simple three days on Twitter with a balanced watch of both what Israel is doing and what uh, what actually Hamas did, it, it, the, the evidence there there is no moral equivalency at all. Um, there that that argument has always been dead, but it's really pushed. But just you can now see it clearly, and I think that's why so many of these news organizations are tripping over themselves because, like, like Biden, they are pro Hamas, but things are so obviously evil that they that they they're. they're they're caught. They don't know what to do. But when we say we believe in free speech, I I do not want people to be able to protest walking down the street celebrating the murder of children uh, in, in these ways, <laughs> pro-abortion uh, pro in, in the same way. What are how, how do how do we think through this issue of free speech where where we don't want people to outwardly and openly promote evil, but we also don't want to do the very thing that the communists, that the globalists will, will do, that, that the Muslims will do to us. Well, what the Biden regime is trying to do is foreclose on any opposing viewpoints. Now, see, uh, I am obviously, as we've talked about, you know, considered a far-right extremist and all this nonsense. And it's really just an effort to stigmatize, demonize, marginalize, and silence those who oppose the standard establishment line. And that's what they're trying to do across the board, that uh, simply because you disagree, then you are far right or a purveyor of disinformation or an Islamophobe or a combination of all three and many other things as well. And so you can lawfully be silenced. The Historically, in the United States, that that was absolutely a, a bridge too far, a line that must not be and was not crossed. 
that simply opposing viewpoints were not uh, silenced or inhibited in any way. The restrictions on the freedom of speech only came into play in regard to advocating for illegal activity, advocating for violence, for vigilante action against uh, some innocent person, or even some guilty person for that matter, uh, advocating for extra legal or illegal activities. That Those were the restrictions on the freedom of speech. And that worked very well for a couple of hundred years, that the, there were all sorts of viewpoints and there was no viewpoint discrimination. Now there's plenty, but there was only restriction on the freedom of speech of people who were saying, yeah, you should all go out and rob banks or you should all go out and kill people and so on. So about pro-Hamas demonstrators now, it seems to me that it ought to be a very clear-cut situation just as that was, that you have here a group that is still considered to be a terrorist organization classified as such officially by the U.S. State Department. And then you have people who are out there uh, applauding and uh, rooting openly for the victory of this terrorist organization. That seems to me to be a perfectly reasonable thing to say that's a prosecutable offense. And it's not a restriction on the freedom of speech. You, you hate that. You want to change that. Then lobby with your legislators to get Hamas removed from the terrorist designation list. It's not as if it's some infallible list, and I'd be the last guy to say that the government's judgment is always right in such situations, or I'd be incriminating myself. Uh, you, 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 you want to protest for Hamas? Then in the first place, get that changed. But as long as Hamas is listed as a terrorist org, then you shouldn't be able to uh, root for it openly on American streets. I mean, it's really the same thing in my situation. I'm not trying to go to Britain. If they say I'm barred, I'm barred. Uh, and I respect that. I'm, I have, I did actually sue the Queen years ago and tried to get it changed, lost the case. There was not really any reason given when I lost the case. They just said the government has the right to bar people from the country. Well, I wasn't even contesting that. I was just saying that they were wrong in doing, in barring me. That was that. So that's the situation. If I don't like it, I'm, if I were to want to go to London, which I actually don't, but if I did want to go, I would go through legal channels and try to get the thing changed again. Uh, you, listeners, you can see how important uh, words and definitions and actual law is. This is this is why uh, this is why Liberty Coalition Canada and uh, the the Fight Laugh Feast Network and the Ezra Institute and all the other work that we do, we are promoting the rule of law because what we're seeing is the changing of words, which means the changing of meaning, which means we're led to chaos and people are in the street promoting a terrorist group and, and categorically so. And so, Robert, thank you for that. Thank you for that concise response. It's really helpful. Um, as you were talking... I had a second question. So the first question was, what are the limits to free speech? Um, and then the second question is, why, why, is, why are these Western administrations so blind to the very violence that their military have been fighting for years, uh, that their intelligence communities – 
have been dealing with and and trying to keep moderate for years um is it is it just this is it just again going back to critical theory is it just political opportunism on their behalf um it seems you know you see these you see these lefties having such a like even right you know on twitter today you know i had a, i you know guy you know basically i made a statement about uh uh jihad and uh guy came back at me and you know said you know the hamas are are freedom fighters and i said do you understand anything about jihad he said no i'm a white dude and i'm a catholic and i said well here's a video that i've that we've produced on jihad have a listen he said no thanks and i said okay great well then can you stop promoting jihad as a westerner uh because you have no idea what you're talking about and then he said hey enjoy federal prison and it's like Okay, so you want me to go to prison for offering you a video of information? Why are these Western libs so blind to what we've seen throughout world history of Islam? Well, they don't know it, as you pointed out there. They have no idea, really. They've been fed a lot of nonsense for many years, and it's not even just on the left. But remember, it was George W. Bush, six days after 9-11, who went to the mosque, standing in front of... The Council on American-Islamic Relations, which has been des de declared a Hamas front group by the Justice Department, and you have the uh, other guy standing, one of the other people standing behind Bush being Abdurrahman Alamudi, who was a very prominent, probably the most prominent Muslim leader in, in America in the 1990s. And he met with Clinton, he met with Al Gore, he met with uh, all the presidents, obviously he met with Bush. and all the uh, top leaders in Washington, and now he's in prison for funding Al-Qaeda. And so he, this is who he was with, but he stands there and says Islam is a religion of peace, and this is the kind of thing that the guy you were talking to has heard all these years. And so he has no idea of the 1,400-year history of jihad, no idea of Islam's history of and doctrines justifying bloody conquest and subjugation of unbelievers. He thinks that it's a religion of peace that's been hijacked by a tiny minority of extremists, and there are extremists in all religious traditions, and look at those right-wing Christians, uh, and they're just the same as Osama bin Laden. And, you know, it's it's a lot of lies and nonsense, but this is what they've all been told. And they don't how have can, they, how can the president and the vice president— Oh, you're a bad guy too, see? So there's, they won't take anything you'll tell them either. Anyway, you were saying. No, I just, I, okay, that's totally fair. But when, when you've been breached by intelligence communities, like when, when you're actually like when, like, so when Israel, the IDF are, are, you're in partnership with giving, feeding information, like even this morning, like again, you and I are seeing stuff. Even this morning, what did they find? A half million gallons of fuel stored under a hospital. That's mm -hmm. not. Hamas helping fuel the nation so they have power. So they come to the West and they say, all of these, all, you know, all these Palestinians in Gaza have no power and oh, cruel Israel. And you go, wait, you, you got plenty of fuel. Uh, your own guys aren't giving you the fuel. How is it that that the U.S. government? I, I sorry, I know that's a ridiculous question. How is it? Like, like you can actually answer that question, but it seems so. 
categorically obvious that it's that it is compromise and fear that that Americans have fallen in to what I would say the Canadians have fallen into that Mm -hmm. on this issue, they just will not tell the truth. So they're in this whole bait and switch conversation. A traitor class in both Canada and the U S Justin Trudeau doesn't care about Canadians and Joe Biden doesn't care about Americans. The uh, people who are in power in both countries are socialist internationalists who want to destroy the nation state and make both countries part of this massive socialist conglomerate state that uh, is in league with the jihadis. Why is it in league with the jihadis? Because in the first place, the left loves Islam. And there are many reasons for that. But one is that Islam lends itself to authoritarianism in a way that Christianity does not. Christianity teaches the dignity of the individual human being as created in the image of God. Now that means that that leads to and led to historically the idea that individuals have rights that should be respected by other individuals. There is no such teaching in Islam. In Islam, you have Muhammad saying, obey your ruler even if he's an Ethiopian with a head like a raisin. And that's often quoted to show, wow, look, Muhammad was a racist. He's saying that the most outlandish ruler he can think of is a black guy from Ethiopia. But I don't even think that's the main point of that passage, the main lesson of that passage. The main lesson of that passage is that Muhammad is saying, obey your ruler no matter what, even if he's some outlandish human being, obey him. And the left loves this because the left is authoritarian, as we've discussed, wants to destroy dissent, wants to create an authoritarian state in which only one viewpoint is allowed. And so they love a religion that says, obey your ruler no matter what. And so they're encouraging the Islamization of the West, mass migration of Muslims into the West, both to dilute the native culture and to spread Islam, because Islam is a religion they can play ball with. The Soviets tried to destroy religion and they failed. You can't really destroy religion, no matter how authoritarian you are, because it's a it's a it's a natural impulse of the human spirit. And there've always been religions. Human beings are religious. Even if you're an atheist, you worship something. Something is right. the center of your life. So you want to create a massive socialist authoritarian state? You don't try to stamp out religion. You just try to make it all Islamic. So, do you think that do you think the folks who are at the top just like they, they just think, well, they're going to make it Islamic, but they're going to let me off because I brought it in and they're, I'm going to get paid off. They're, I've been a partner. We're, we're good to go. No, nobody's going to make me bow the knee. Um, it just seems that it just seems that they must be so blind to the actual conformity that Islam is going to call for. Because, of course, you and I both know it, it, it's almost a joke to to watch some of these some of these uh, uh, secularists promote Islam and you go, uh, you, you, you have, you have no idea what they're going to do to you. Like, are, are, are you kidding me? You're as a Christian, they're going to be bad to me, man. They're going to, they're going to exploit you. And then they are going to just annihilate you. Yeah. Well, no, they don't have any idea. Uh, look, consider Iran. The Tudeh party was the communist party in Iran and they allied with Khomeini very happily to get rid of the Shah. And they thought he was going to make them part of his government and they would have this governing coalition of leftists and uh, Muslim clerics. And instead, Khomeini threw them all in prison as soon as he was in power. 
And I think that's likely what will happen to the Western left. They have no idea what they're dealing with, because remember, that in the first place, they believe their own lies. So they think Islam is a religion of peace that has nothing whatsoever to do with terrorism, but they think it's useful to them. Meanwhile, think about what they're like, that they're all religious, they're all Christians, except none of them are. Joe Biden makes a great show of his piety, and he uh, goes to churches and prays the rosary, or, or at least carries it around, and he claims that he's a very believing religious Catholic, when actually he's completely tied in with the left's anti-God, anti-Christian agenda. He even had spies from the FBI and Catholic churches looking at pro-lifers and so on. So uh, this guy is not a Christian in any functional sense, but he claims to be. And so what we have is somebody who does not take religion seriously, doesn't think it has any power or anything he need be concerned about, and uses it for his own purposes and bamboozles a lot of people into thinking, well, he's a pious religious man. I had a, I had a, a Greek Orthodox priest tell me, uh, when you look at Trump and Biden, Biden is, is a sincere religious man, and Trump is obviously a libertine, you know, an adulterer, everything else. And I think, how can, you know, you really fell for the, you really drank the Kool-Aid, as, as it said. Uh, but he's not the only one, unfortunately. There are many. And the uh, upshot is, is that these people who don't take their own religion seriously and have a hollow shell of a religion uh, and have the, its form but not its power and all these things, they look at Islam and they don't take all that seriously either. And they think, well, you know, yeah, they say they're going to stone and amputate and behead, but uh, most of them don't really mean that just any more than they mean their own. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And George W. Bush, uh, who's just another establishment leftist, even though he's a Republican, and most of them are Democrats, the, re the establishment Republicans are just the same. And George W. said, you know, we're fighting for ordinary moms and dads in Iraq. And I thought he should have said, we're fighting for ordinary moms and moms and moms and moms and dads in Iraq. Because, of course, he doesn't know anything about polygamy and about uh, the devaluation of women in Islam, but the Iraqis did. Okay, so we've got about six or seven minutes left. Um, that's that's only because you're being rude and saying you can't talk for five hours, um, which which is which is my indirect way. Whenever my friends hear me insult them, they know that's usually my indirect way of inviting them for more conversation or telling them I love them. So, so that's that's my indirect way of inviting you to come back. But I do want to talk about this. We just we've just talked about politicians. One thing we can do is ask for politicians to make clear platform statements and like clear policy statements. We're going into another election. Uh, obviously, that's one of the beautiful things uh, still in our countries. Um, uh, well, you know, hopefully still still a beautiful thing. Um, what policy platforms should Christians ask for their politicians to make openly and publicly? on immigration and foreign policy. Is there any way that you could do two or three sentences on, this is a policy platform you should ask for um, your politician on immigration? Well, obviously a country without borders is not a country and we've got to close the borders. We've got to restrict immigration. We've got to at very least require the immigrants who are here to assimilate, to accept American values, 
and repudiate the idea of uh, multiculturalism and of uh, diversity and all these leftist slogan words, because a country that is truly diverse, that is truly multicultural, has no cohesive unity and is going to break apart. And so we need to have politicians who have the courage to stand up to the whole framework and I don't, I don't see any, but that's, you, you, if you give me a chance to make a wish list, this is what I'm going to wish for. Also immigration, you know, there's nobody has a natural right to immigrate to any other country. And the idea that anybody who wants to come here can come here or should come here, or that you're immoral and racist and bigoted if you're against everybody in the world coming here, it's ridiculous. Uh, the United States, the American people were at least a reasonably cohesive, culturally unified people up until 1965, when the Immigration Act removed all restrictions and brought in everybody from everywhere. Um, what, what, what restrictions would have been in immigration policy that what, – what restrictions were dropped? Um, one of the main restrictions that was dropped was that the immigrants from Europe and the Anglosphere would be favored. And people said that was racist. And maybe it was, but I don't think that wanting to maintain the cultural unity of the country was necessarily racist or wrong. Well, when, this is uh, Saudi Arabia says we, we, we don't want Christians or Jews or Hindus practicing their religion in the country. People say, oh, well, you know, you have to respect their mores. And, uh, and nobody ever says they're racists and bigots and Islam, uh, Christian phobes or anything. But only only in the West is it racist and wrong to want to defend your cultural uh, heritage and your national unity. Um, but anyway, which again, it, is a mixture of concepts, because, of course, race doesn't exist. It's an evolutionary concept. And so that that restriction was actually only a protection of culture. The yeah. the 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 Christian Western mind that had been cultivated, that was a direct attack on that. So mm -hmm. again, it has nothing to do with racism, it has to do with culture. You 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 can be any shade of melatonin and yes. you can be an Islamic jihadist, or you can be a uh civil, God fearing, uh, obedient to the rule of law individual. Yes. And that's the other thing, that whoever's here, whatever color, whatever race, whatever background, they ought to be made to obey the laws. That's actually not happening. For example, I remember a few years back, there was a uh, brownstone in New York City that burnt down, and it was several floors. And as it was reported, the information about the fire, it was became clear that this was a Muslim migrant who lived with his various wives. And the various wives lived on the different floors and he lived on the ground floor and he would go visit the various wives each day, each night he would spend with a different one as Muhammad did. Now, in the story, it had Ibrahim Hooper of the Hamas-linked Council on American-Islamic Relations saying, uh, yeah, there are a lot of, there are thousands of polygamous marriages in the United States. Well, polygamy is ostensibly illegal. But the government doesn't make the first take the first step to prosecute polygamy in the United States because it would be Islamophobic. And it would seem to me that you've got a lot of Sharia adherent Muslims practicing polygamy in the United States. If you arrested them, you would catch a lot of jihadis also because jihad is part of Sharia as much as polygamy. But 
this is not being done. So one thing I would say is enforce the laws on all the migrants and a lot of problems would be solved. That's the same situation uh, in uh, in the cities of Canada, in, in, in Toronto. Uh, you have polygamy o- openly practiced. In fact, I, I have a po- political friend who was uh, running for a certain, running in a certain riding in Toronto and uh, actually solicited uh, by a Muslim saying, wow, you are a beautiful woman. I would love to make you one of my wives. Mm-hmm. Uh, while, while she is, uh, uh, while she is trying to advocate for the uh, rule of law in uh, the, the Judeo Christian sense. Well, Robert, I really want to be respectful of your time. It's been a blessing having you on. Sorry, I got to run, but thank you. Yeah, it's been fun and call me anytime. Okay. And folks, uh, where can you follow, uh, where can they follow your work primarily, Robert? And I do want to say after you share where it is, cause I know where it is. I want to just make a comment on it really quick. Yeah, I'm at jihadwatch.org, which is updated many times daily with news and commentary on jihad activity. Uh, I have 27 books that you can find at Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever uh, there are self-respecting bookstores. And I'm at jihadwatchrs on Twitter. And folks, this is how we need to reframe the whole conversation. Anti-Semitism is one issue, but we have to reframe the whole conversation that this is actually about Islamic jihad. It, it and and they they hate the Jews because they actually believe Islam. That is that is the starting premise. We have to reframe the conversation around jihadwatch.org, around jihadwatch, around Islamic jihad. Robert, thank you for coming on. Everybody, thanks for listening. Make sure you share this important video out with all of your friends. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and of course, on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network app, which is called Pub TV. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.